0: Well, as you've already heard, many of the people are wearing these kind of uh, aqua, teal. I'm not sure of the specific color shirt, but uh, it was a wonderful weekend. I was here at 935 last night picking up my son, and while I was here on the back row last night, I, I got to watch a young lady accept the Lord with one of the youth pastors. And so this is why we do what we did. We had over 150 students here and uh, volunteers on top of that to, to help. And so uh, just, again, you heard earlier about thank you for your giving. But your giving allows us to do ministry like that and to reach lives and change it, change their lives for all eternity. So thank you. Well, that was a great weekend, and a lot of them didn't get a lot of sleep. You know, they were here all day, Friday evening and then Saturday. And I'll tell you, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night myself, Uh, And that's because I was thinking about the mask mandate and the response to the email that I sent out to you all. Now, if you're saying what email, well, that tells me that you're probably not in our church communication system. So if you didn't get an email on Friday from the church, what that means is we either don't have your correct information or you've never uh, given us that information. So we'd love to have that because periodically we need to push out kind of a communication midweek that... Uh, where something is going on and so if you didn't get the email or even if you did let me read it for you because I want you to understand what Wayside is doing with the governor's mask mandate so this email says on March 10th the Texas mask mandate is being lifted so what is Wayside Chapel doing first we will continue to follow our current sanitizing protocols everything that we have been doing for almost a year now uh, we are going to continue to do. All of the safeguards we have in place, all of the sanitation, uh, sanitizing that we're doing, that will continue. Second, we will continue with the posture of serving others. In Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 8, Paul tells how he willingly gave up some of his personal freedoms in order to serve the weaker brethren. We recognize that we have those in our church who are vulnerable and others Who have still not yet had the opportunity to receive the COVID vaccine. So, our staff and those who are serving in our children and student ministries will continue to wear masks or shields until a greater number have been given the opportunity to receive the vaccine. Current mask procedures will continue in our children and student ministry areas because we cannot ensure proper social distancing. So, to be sure, Uh, So be sure to check our Frequently Asked Questions for for specific and up-to-date information. If you're not aware of it, you can go to our website, and we have a Frequently Asked Questions section on there about COVID and all things related to it, and we update that daily as needed sometimes with things that are going on in the community or procedures. So you can go to waysidechapel.org and click on those questions and see specific things you may have a question about. Now, here is what has changed and what some are wondering about. We also know that others are excited to be free of wearing a mask. So if you are ready, starting on Sunday, March 14th, that's next Sunday, uh, you are free to come without wearing a mask for adult classes and Sunday worship at both of our campuses. Now, why are we doing this? People are saying, Uh, Roger, isn't this reckless? Isn't this wrong? What about all that's happening out there? Um, Let me explain something about the policy that maybe you don't really know. So people are saying, well, the governor's mask mandate says that businesses are free to choose to no longer require a mask when somebody comes on their property. Also, businesses are free to decide if they're going to open 100% and no longer limit capacity. So why would Wayside Chapel be wanting to make a change to what they have already required right now you know what's required is as you come into the sanctuary we ask that you wear your mask as you're moving around because you may come across somebody who uh... is uncomfortable not being around somebody with a mask or may have uh... some health issue as to why you're free at this moment to keep your mask on or off during the sermon during the singing. as i look out i see some still wearing masks, others without And so why would we change the policy? Well, something you may not understand about the policy is that if a business says you must wear a mask when you come on our property, if you have a person who walks on your property who is not wearing a mask, there is a legal uh, remedy to that. And the legal remedy that businesses have is they can say kind of like no shoes, no shirt, no service. They can say no mask, no service. Turn around and leave our property. If somebody were to come onto Wayside Chapel's property next Sunday without a mask, saying, I'm exercising my freedom uh, and I'm going to not wear a mask, if our policy is you must have a mask and you ask the person to put a mask on and they don't, then what's the next step? Well, the legal remedy is you contact the police. Now, we have police officers on our property, so we would have them right here. Uh, We have Castle Hills right around the corner police station, so they would also be here very quickly. And being a former police officer in Dallas, you all know this about me, I understand what a criminal trespass warning is. And a criminal trespass warning is where the business says, we want this person to obey our policy or procedure or leave our property. And if they refuse to leave, uh, then you arrest the person. And a criminal trespass warning also says, uh, do not return to the property for a specified length of time. So if our policy is in place that masks are required, and next Sunday there are going to be people who come on property and say, I'm not wearing a mask, and you say, Roger, we're a church. We have Christians here. Nobody would do something like that. (laughs) That leaves us two options. We tell you, leave the property, never come back. uh, Leave the property or go to jail. And so as a church, we tell people, come as you are. We don't care what you're wearing. We don't care what your background. uh, Come as you are. And so we are... People who are saying, well, you're being reckless in allowing uh, people to come on property without a mask, we would actually be reckless if we didn't have a procedure in place to deal with it. And since the option as a church is we're not going to have people arrested and removed from our property, they're going to be here without a mask. And so then what do we do? So what we're doing is providing a place for those who feel that freedom in Christ uh, to come without a mask. Now, I will tell you, I'm as ready as anybody to be without mask. Uh, I recognize there is a huge personal cost to all that has happened in the past year. My family, like your families, have been affected by this. My wife's parents are both in an Alzheimer's unit up by Dallas. We have not seen them since March. We have not been able to visit her parents uh, for a year because of lockdown. I have a daughter who is a senior in high school, just as many students have given up so much. Uh, She's like, Dad, this was my senior year, and all the things I was looking forward to, many of them uh, I've not been able to do. We recognize that. There is great isolation that has occurred as the pastor dealing with numerous families. uh, I have seen the strain over and over on families, marriages that have ended. I have seen people dealing with depression and anxiety and suicide. Uh, we have had people who have died, and as your pastor, I've not been able to be in the hospital. I have been able to go into some homes uh, and be with those who are dying when families allow that if they're in a home setting. So I recognize there are a lot of things about mass that none of us like, and I, of all people, would like to see them go away. But as I began, we have taken a posture of serving others, those who maybe are in a more vulnerable position. So what are we doing? How are we being Solomon dividing the baby, if you're familiar with that passage in the Bible? Next Sunday, if you so choose to come without a mask, you want to exercise that freedom. As I've already articulated, all of our policies in our student and children's areas are in place. Uh, When you come into the worship center, Uh, You can sit in this section over here. Somebody jokingly asked me, is this the anarchy section next week? Uh, No, it's not the anarchy section. Again, uh, what the law allows and what we're allowing is this. So if you're in this section over here and you're saying, well, I don't want to be in an area where we're not wearing masks and socially distanced, well, then you need to move to the balcony, the center, or this area over here because this will be our no-mask area. Now, for those coming and going without a mask, we are going to follow our previous procedures, coming one way in and one way out. So if you are going to be in this section coming on property without a mask, then you will come and go through these double doors. There's another set of double doors that go out to the parking lot. There are restrooms back in this area, so if you're saying I need you know, bathroom facilities, uh, you will come and go through these doors. Everybody else can come in these doors and exit here. Now, if you're saying, well, I feel comfortable walking out with those, that's fine. You can go that way, but we're going to separate that area. Now, what I don't want to see happen next week is people who are over here wearing a mask looking over there and scowling at the others and saying, you know, look at you reckless people endangering the world. And I don't want to see those in this section flaunting their freedom and looking over at everybody else and saying, look at us over here. You know, Jesus prayed that we would all be one. He prayed for unity as he left, and I would love to see that continue here. Uh, We have gone a year through this as a body. And it has been hard. And we have an enemy called Satan who seeks to destroy, who seeks to divide, who seeks to sow disunity. And uh, we are just literally weeks, if you might say even if uh, end of May, the government, and I'm stoned don't t- start sending me emails about the government. I've gotten a plenty of emails this week about people very passionate about this on both sides. So if you haven't got your emails into to me, it's Roger P at waysidechapel.org. <laughs> Just go ahead and send them to me. Um, But anyway, what we want to do is continue to have a posture of serving. Uh, You know, we allow you to come on property wearing your mask for just entering and exiting and then removing them if you feel so. If you uh, don't want to wear a mask, that is your freedom next week. But we're asking that you just continue to have Paul's posture of giving up your personal freedoms for the sake of others. Uh, Even if you don't want to wear a mask, it's up to you. But, again, our staff and others are going to continue that. I close the email by saying in Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, and that's what we want to do as a church. So let me just pray for us before we uh, shift gears and go into our time in God's word. Lord God, we thank you for your protection of our flock, our family. Lord, there has been loss of life, there has been all kinds of things that have happened, but we are cognizant that you have been so gracious to us at Wayside, that you have kept there from being a a big outbreak here, that you've protected our families in so many ways, and we just ask God for your hand of protection to continue, not just in terms of the COVID virus, but Lord, for just barring our enemy, would you continue to bind Satan and keep him from sowing disunity among our, our flock, that we as brothers and sisters in Christ would dwell together in unity, that we would love one another and serve one another. So we just commit this week, we commit uh, the weeks ahead that are coming, and Lord, we just commit our time now as we open your word and look at what you say to us in First Peter. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been going through our series in the book of 1 Peter, and we're in this section where Peter is talking a lot about submission. We've seen that he talks about how it impacts our witness. Last week, he was talking about submitting to the government. And next week, we're going to look at what Peter says about submitting in the home. And this week, as we're in 1 Peter two eighteen through 25, he talks about our witness at work as we submit to those and authority over us now with this being yet another light and easy subject uh, I think we can use a little levity so let me begin by reading a couple of statements that were found in the performance reviews of some officers in the British Navy this is what their superiors said in their reviews his men would follow him anywhere but only out of curiosity Since my last report, he has reached rock bottom and has continued to dig. She sets a low personal standard and then consistently fails to meet them. He has the wisdom of youth and the energy of old age. And this officer should go far, and the sooner he starts, the better. Now, that's not exactly the kind of remarks you'd like to see on your job review, is it? But when it comes to the way you work, I'd like you to ask yourself, if somebody were being honest in reviewing the way you work, would they be critical of you, like some of those statements, or would they commend you? As we're going to see today in 1 Peter chapter 2, there is a standard that has been set, and that standard is Jesus Christ. And Peter calls on us to copy his example in the way that we witness at work. So I invite you to look with me now as we begin by reading in 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 25. He says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right, and suffer for it you patiently endure it this finds favor with god for you have seen you have been called for this purpose since christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth and while being reviled he did not revile in return while suffering he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Now, as we're looking at this passage, you can change the wording to fit your context. If you're in the military where it says servants put soldier and where it says masters put commanding officers. If you're in a school setting, you can put student for slave and teacher or principal for master. Wherever you work, what we're talking about here is employees where you see servants and supervisors when you see masters. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, Roger, I kind of like the wording because I work for a slave master who pays me slave wages. So, you know, it, it, it reads just right for me. Others of you can thankfully say you have the blessing of a good and gentle boss as Peter's talking about in verse 18. But whatever the case is, Peter says we are to uh, submit and give our 100% best. Now, I'm sorry to say that in the Christian community, that's not always the case. We have men and women here who own companies. We have those who are in supervisory roles. And I hear on far too often occasions where people will say to me, Roger, I'm, I'm struggling with an employee of mine. Uh, who is a believer. Sometimes both the, the supervisor and the employee go here to Wayside, and they're like, what do I do? Because there's a person in our church that is in danger of losing their job if they don't change the way that they're working. I've heard too many times where when they ask the person to do their job or they hold them accountable, the response is, well, where's the grace? I thought we were brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you've heard this saying, you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good. And I say that because there are some Christians who say, well, when I'm at work, I'm there to witness for God. Roger, you talk about us being ambassadors and on and on. So that's all I'm doing when I'm at work. I'm just using it as an opportunity to be a witness for Christ. And. I had one Christian manager here at the church who told me about an employee they had who spent so much time witnessing for Christ that they did zero work for the company, and they were always telling everybody how much God was doing in and through them and for them. And finally, one day, this uh, boss went to the person and said, hey, do you think God could ever do something in and through you for the company? And the person just laughed it off, and they were fired. They had to be terminated. Now, I said this person was witnessing, but ultimately, what kind of witness did this person have? In 1 Timothy 6 1, we're told, Let all who are under the yoke as slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God in our doctrine may not be spoken against. By failing to fulfill his job, not only were customers and fellow workers complaining, but nobody wanted to hear from this person uh, about what God you know, wanted to do for them because this person was not doing anything, didn't have a good witness. And so they weren't eager to hear about God from them. Now, as we're talking about being a productive employee, does this mean you never share your faith at work? No, that's not at all what I'm saying. Every single job I have ever had, I have shared my faith. And that's not just being a pastor. You're thinking, well, of course you share your faith, Roger. You're a pastor. Listen, I have worked in retail. I've worked in restaurants. I've worked in construction. I've worked in a law firm. And I've been in law enforcement. So I have worked a number of jobs outside of the pastoral role. And in every situation, I have shared my faith just as you should. But I want you to remember that your life can speak louder than your words What you're doing can affect your witness. Like the guy I just mentioned, we can lose the opportunity to be heard if we're not a good worker. And conversely, we can open doors to the word of God being heard by the way we work. Uh, When I was in college, one of the summer jobs that I worked was for the town of Addison. It's a, a city north of Dallas, and I worked in their streets and landscape department. And, you know, I loved the job. I got to go out and jackhammer streets and run backhoes and plant trees and, you know, do all kinds of things. It was, it was hard physical labor, but, you know, I enjoyed doing it. And uh, I worked a summer there. They liked the work I did. They invited me to come back the next summer. I was working there, but I was also playing uh, basketball, and I was at a, a basketball camp where I ended up blowing out all the ligaments in my ankle. And in doing so, I ended up in a boot cast. And having this boot cast on, I could no longer run heavy equipment. I couldn't go out and do uh, a lot of the physical labor that was demanded for the position I was employed in. So the city could have said to me, you can't do the job. We're going to fire you. But instead, they said, you know, you've been a really good employee. We'd like to keep you on. So let's see if we can find somewhere for you to work. And so uh... the streets and landscape department had a building where they had the the bay area in the back it's where all the equipment was kept there were showers and locker rooms for the laborers and then the front of the building were, was where all the city offices were so it was you know nice clean environment offices and people in suits and ties up there and they said uh... we can have you be the janitor for the building and i said great i'd love to have that opportunity So I switched from going out on the street to coming in and cleaning the building where all these guys were coming in from the streets. And you can imagine how filthy the back of the building is because all the dirt, the grime that they were tracking in. And the guy who was doing the job before I did, the way he would clean this area is he would literally uh, take the little fire hose that was there and he'd take it out and he'd turn it on and he would just hose the whole place down. Toilet stalls, toilets, you know, floors, everything. That was how he cleaned the building. And I came in and I started uh, giving the place a deep clean. And people noticed, hey, what, you know, you're, you're like actually using cleaner on the toilets and you're doing all this stuff and uh, your toilet paper isn't all wet all the time because it's been hit with a hose <laughs> and, you know, uh, wh- what are you doing? Uh, so much so that the assistant city manager... Uh, after a few weeks of me doing this, came back and he said to me one day, he said, he said Roger, you're doing a great job and, and I love it. He said, but can I ask you a question? He said, you're a college kid. He said, you know what the guy before you was doing and you could have gotten away with that. He said, he said why are you doing this? Why, why are you giving this place such a deep clean? And I quoted him Colossians 3.23, which says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And I said to him, I said, when I'm cleaning toilets, I'm cleaning them for the glory of God. He said, that, I said, the town of Addison's just a secondary beneficiary of my work. I'm doing my work for God. And he said, that's interesting. He said, tell me more. And so over the next couple of weeks, I got to share more and more with the assistant city manager about my faith in Christ. And he ultimately uh, came to the point of receiving the Lord. He said to me. He said, "So tell me again why you're doing this." So let me tell you a story. He said, "I told him. I said there was this man walking down the street, and he saw three stonemasons who were building this uh, building, this church. And he was curious as to the work they were doing, and so he approached the first guy and he said, he said uh, what are you doing?'" And this uh, bricklayer looks at him and he says, "I'm I'm, I'm laying stones. I'm, I, I make a living by laying these stones." And he asked the second man, he said, well, what are you doing? And, and the guy said, well, I'm building a wall. Can't you see that? And then he asked the third guy, and he said, what are you doing? And this man smiled, and he said to him, I, I'm building a great cathedral that will be used to worship God and bring him glory. Friends, as you think about the work you're doing, what are you doing? Are you just laying stones? Or are you building a cathedral? Are you building something that is going to give glory to God, that people will look at and say, I see God in what you're doing? I told you this This man came to the Lord. Uh, here's a picture of him along with another guy. You can see the boot cast on my leg there. And so the, city, the assistant city manager is the guy in the suit and tie, and uh, the guy next to him is another college kid who was a day laborer working for the town. And that summer, I had the privilege of leading both of these guys to the Lord through the work that I did. Now, I also got to lead. uh, I didn't lead everybody, obviously, to the Lord that I worked with, but I got to have a witness to them. One of the other jobs I would do is while I was cleaning the building, I would wax, you know, mop and wax the halls. And uh, if you've ever done that, you know, you're running one of those Disc waxers and uh, you spend a lot of time just mindlessly walking up and down the hall doing this And so I would take and uh, write bible verses on a three by five card And I'd carry around a couple of these and I'd strap them onto the handle as I'm waxing the floor And I'd memorize them and I'd just kind of rotate them as I went through the the morning And people would walk by and they'd jokingly laugh and say oh is that the instruction manual And uh, I'd say yeah actually it is, it's the instruction for life And then I would quote them the Bible verse. And it got to the point that people would say to me uh, every day, hey, Raj, what's the good word for the day? And as I got more and more people asking me, uh, I got permission from the city manager to actually put the verse of the day up on the bulletin board in the, the break room there in a government building. And I'm not telling you all this to brag. I'm telling you all this to say these are just examples of ways that you can witness where you work. These are things that you can do uh, in your situation. Pray and seek God and say, what are some creative ways that people can see Christ through the work that I do? Now, on the flip side, uh, the way that you work, if people are always having to pick up your slack or ride you to get your job done, you're not going to have a great witness and they're not going to want to hear about your faith. Now, what do you do if you're fortunate enough to be in a place where you're surrounded by bosses and co-workers who are Christian? Some of you are in that scenario. Does that mean you can slack off? Actually, no. It means you should work doubly hard. 1 Timothy 6.2 tells us, And let those who have believers as their masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but let them serve them all the more, because those who partake of the benefits are believers and beloved And it ends by saying, teach and preach these principles, exactly what I'm doing this morning. Now, those who have Christian bosses shouldn't be asking for extra grace. What you should be doing is doing extra work to serve those who are benefiting from your hard work. There was a Christian company that put this notice on their bulletin board in their employee area. It says, the management regrets that it has come to their attention that workers are dying on the job and failing to fall down. This practice must stop as it becomes impossible to distinguish between death and the natural movement of the staff. Any employee found dead in an upright position will be dropped from the payroll. Now, they were trying a humorous uh, approach to a not-so-funny situation, right? You had a bunch of Christians in a Christian workplace who were taking advantage of their employer and not doing their job. And when you or I as employees do this, we hurt the company. And we are stealing from the company as much as if you walked into the stock room and took stuff off the shelf and took it home because you're stealing. It's a theft of time. You're being paid to produce for the company. In Titus 2, 9 through 10, the Bible tells us, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, that's stealing, but showing all good faith that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. As you think about the way you work, are you a hard worker? Or do you give your supervisor a hard time? Do you earn your pay or do you pilfer by stealing time, money, or materials from your job? Now, as we're talking about our witness at work, let me say this. This applies to those at the very top of the organizational chart as well. I'm not just talking to those who punch a clock. I'm talking to the men and women who own a company. I'm talking to those who are in the C-suite of a corporation, those of you who are managers and supervisors As you think about how your witness at work is, what would people say who work for you or those who do business with you? Do you have a good reputation? Do you conduct your business with integrity? Are you the type of person who pays your bills on time? Do your vendors and others like doing business with you because accounts receivables come in as they're supposed to? Or are you one of those people that, that holds off on paying your bills for the longest time possible? Proverbs 3, 27 through 28 tells us this. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it is in your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. And in 1 Timothy 5:18 we're told for the scripture says you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Are you somebody who pays those who work for you well? Now I'm not advocating some of the stuff we see in society that people are like everybody should have all this money for doing nothing. Uh, but if you're somebody whose company is benefiting from those who do the work, those who produce for you? Do you share the profits in a reasonable and fair way with those who work for you? Are you somebody who's generous? Are you somebody who is described here in verse uh, 18 as being good and gentle or would others say you're unreasonable? Now listen, I understand. There are people who will say, well, you're unreasonable or you're not fair if you even hold them accountable To do their job, I know you can be accused of that just for asking people to do your job. I, (laughs) I have that happen even in church scenarios. But as you look at the kind of supervisor you are, I want you to ask yourself: If you had to work for a boss just like you, if you're in a position of uh, being a manager or a supervisor, ask yourself: Would you like working for you? Are you fair? Are you reasonable? Are you somebody who protects and supports your people? Do you give them the resources that are needed? Are expectations clear? And then, is there a good follow-up uh, to the assignments and the expectations? If somebody is failing to fulfill your, their job, if you're a supervisor, do you give the employee feedback, or are they surprised when suddenly they find themselves on probation, or even worse, being terminated? You know, as a supervisor, if I ever have to terminate somebody and the person says, I'm surprised, I had no idea. Now, I get sometimes you have a documented counseling that thick and they're going, I had no idea I wasn't doing my job. Uh, But if somebody can legitimately say to you, I had no idea I was failing at my job, then it is you as a supervisor who have failed. So ask yourself... Do you give clear and reasonable expectations and feedback along the way and then ample opportunity to improve? Now, I get sometimes you have to terminate somebody immediately. There can be a serious violation of policy or a safety issue. Somebody can steal from the company. There can be reasons somebody has to be let go. But again, ask yourself, if you are in a supervisory role, are you being clear and fair in the way that you handle your employees? Now, I know it's hard. It's hard to do that. I have been in a supervisory role, not just as a senior pastor for more than 25 years. I've been in a supervisory role in the secular world. And it is hard to look somebody in the eye and say, you're just not measuring up. And then to walk with them through those hard conversations. But it's what we're called to do. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. But deceitful, the kisses of an enemy. Jack Welch, who was CEO of General Electric, said the kindest form of management is to tell the truth. Would you rather hear that you're not doing your job and be given an opportunity to improve? Or somebody tell you, oh, you're doing great, and then suddenly you're out of work? So tell the truth, speak the hard words. As a leader, not only do you have a responsibility to the organization to do that, but also to the person caring about them enough to tell them the truth, which can help them to get better or to find a job that's a better fit for them. Now, as we're talking about these different roles in the workplace, you'll remember last Sunday we talked about the word submission, and we saw that it's this Greek word "hupatasso," and it describes, as you'll remember, a military chain of command. And so the picture is that we understand at the very top of the organizational chart, so to speak, is Jesus Christ. No matter what the earthly organization looks like, God is always at the top as the commander in chief. And so what that does is when we're told here in 1 Peter 2.18, servants are to be submissive to their masters. It's not just... Those on the lowest rung of the ladder, it's those at the very top as well, recognizing there's an authority over you as a man or a woman who's a manager, a boss, an owner, whatever your role is. So what that means is there's not only to be mutual love and respect all up and down the organizational chart, it also means that whoever is giving the directions and orders needs to understand they cannot ask somebody to do something in violation of God's ultimate standard. If something is a violation of the law, the Bible says you're to obey civil authority. You can't ask your employee to do something that is illegal or wrong. Now, what that means is if you're the employee and you're being asked to cut corners, uh, compromise uh, standards and integrity that is illegal, then you're to say no. Now, recognize that may mean you lose your job. You could lose your job. I get that. Uh, But, you know, if you're working for a company like that that's wanting you to do things that are illegal or unethical, there are lots of better places to work. You are not a slave in the old sense of the the standards that Peter's talking about here, so nobody's making you stay at your job. So if you're in an abusive or an ungodly situation, then you need to to look for opportunities to leave and find a different place of employment. Now, let me say this. When you leave... (laughs) Leave in a godly way. Uh, don't be that person who who is scheming on the best way to really stick it to your supervisor. You know, you're going to wait till the, the highest crush hour, and then you're going to say, I quit, I quit, and you're going to walk out the door. You know, I, one of the jobs I had in high school was working at Burger King on the line making the sandwiches, and, you know, when the lo- cars were all the way out down the street, and your boss, your manager was yelling at you and stuff like that, it, it, I had dreams of just saying, I quit, you know, (laughs) walking off the line and saying, you make all the whoppers, you know, I'm out of here, you know, don't do that. Because, you know, first of all, that's a bad witness. And second of all, if you are one of those people that's looking forward to a creative way to burn your bridges on the way out the door, you will be amazed at how many times you will have to walk back across that bridge later. And uh, you you will find that what you did follows you. And that's true even in the church world. There there are plenty of times I go to check a reference on a potential employee and I find out about what they did or how they were at another church or ministry and they're, they're not a part of the team here at Wayside because of it. So give your supervisor sufficient notice. Tell them in a respectful way why you're leaving. Now, if you choose to stay where you are, you need to give it your all. Even if the one you work for is unreasonable, as verse 18 says, because ultimately remember who you are serving. Your work is being done for the Lord, not for that person who is the, the person over you here on earth. Now, when it comes to having an unreasonable boss, the Greek word that's used here is scolios, And if that sounds familiar to you, it's because it's where we get our medical term scoliosis. The word literally means bent, twisted, or distorted. And as Peter is writing this letter in the first century, he's saying, look, I recognize some of you have unreasonable bosses. You have unrighteous masters. Many in the first century church were slaves, and they were suffering abuse under wicked masters. Uh, Remember Peter, who just told us to submit to the government, was under Nero being persecuted in Rome, where he would ultimately be martyred for his faith. And so what he's saying is, I understand sometimes it is hard. And he said, if you find yourself in a harsh environment like this and you continue to have this great witness for Christ, he says, it can open doors to even cruel masters. They're going to look at you and say, what? why are you acting this way? Why are you not responding you know, the way that others are? Now, when it comes to being treated harshly, He says, make sure you're not bringing some of this on yourself. As you look at verses 19 and 20, he says, there's there's nothing noble about being reprimanded if you're doing your job poorly. He says, if you're late all the time, if you're lazy or you fail to do your job, you deserve it when you're disciplined. So don't tell somebody, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm so righteous. I'm being persecuted for my faith. Uh, Now, What they're persecuting you for is just holding you accountable for your performance. They may not like the way you're not doing your job. Now, I understand, again, sometimes you are doing your job. You may be a top producer in the company, but you say, I'm not willing to uh, compromise my ethics or do something uh, that is going against God and his standards. You may be a student who writes a well-thought-out research paper and you have a professor who doesn't like the stand you took for God and they give you a bad grade because of that. And Peter says God sees these things and God will reward you for those things. Now, he reminds us in the next verses of what Jesus himself went through and how Jesus stands as this model for all suffering servants. He says in verses 21 through 23, For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He says Jesus is our example. And I love the word that he uses there. It's an extremely rare Greek word. In fact, this is the only time it's ever used in the entire New Testament. It's hupogramos. And the word literally means underwriting. And it referred to the way that penmanship was taught where the teacher would write out the letters of the alphabet. And then a student would follow the example of the teacher trying to retrace these letters underneath. And the picture here is that Jesus Christ has given us the example, the way he lived, the way he walked. And Peter says, brothers and sisters in Christ, follow Jesus' example. Walk the way he walked. Live the way he lived. And as Peter talks about imitating Christ, he says to follow his steps. And, and a literal translation here is to step into his footprints. We're to follow Christ so closely in our walk that we look like we are stepping where he stepped. I think of the story of a man who was walking through a muddy garden one day. And he was carefully picking his way, stepping on a rock, a dry spot here and there. And his little girl was following him through the garden. And he looks back at one point to see how his daughter's doing. And his daughter looks up and with a big smile says, Daddy. I'm stepping where you step, and because of that, I'm not getting any mud on my feet. And this is a picture for us. As we walk through this world with all the muck and the mire and the mess, if we walk as Jesus walked, we're going to avoid stepping in a whole lot of stuff in this world. Now, I get that none of us are perfect. None of us can be like Jesus, where we are sinless. But we can look more and more like Christ. We can sin less and less in how we live our lives. So as you look at your life, how closely are you following Christ's example? And as I ask that question, I want you to remember people are watching you. People know you're a Christian. People know you're a believer. And whether you've ever thought of it this way or not, your life may be the only translation of the Bible that some people read. There are people who will never pick up an actual Bible, who will never read the word of God for themselves, and they're looking at you, and they're saying, this is what a Christian looks like. The word Christian means a little Christ. How accurate of a translation is your life for the Savior whom we serve? And what Peter tells us here is one of the ways that we demonstrate that we reflect Christ is by the way we work especially when we're mistreated. He says in verse 23, while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, Jesus uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. What he's quoting from here is Isaiah chapter 53, which speaks of the crucifixion of the promised Messiah and how Jesus would be the one to fulfill that as he ultimately went to a cross and he died for our sins. You know, our natural reaction is to strike back at the person who's hurting us, but our response as believers is not to be natural. It's to be supernatural. We're to follow the example of Jesus Christ who did not revile in return. And when we think about Christ, how much more powerful is his witness when you remember what Jesus could have done? I mean, Jesus as God had the opportunity to wipe out those who were hurting him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when they came to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out his sword to fight, but Matthew twenty-six fifty-two through 54 tells us this. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? And will he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. How then shall the scripture be fulfilled that it must happen this way? Jesus says, Peter, like that I could call down a nuclear strike that would wipe out everybody who was in opposition to me. But instead, he willingly allowed himself to be arrested, to be beaten, to be mistreated and mocked to die a horrible death on the cross. As you look at verse 24, he tells us how Jesus suffered, mentioning his wounds. Some translations say stripes. If you read this in the original Greek text, the word is in the singular form. And what that means is Jesus was beaten so badly. Remember, they would use like a cat of nine tails. They would have whips that had multiple uh, leather straps going out. They had pieces of stone and glass and broken pottery and even bone on the end of these straps. And as they would beat you with it, it would tear open your flesh. It would rip down through the muscle all the way to the very bones. And Jesus, as he was beaten over and over, was beaten so badly, The description here is that his back looks like one singular open wound. He was so badly beaten, so bloody, so lacerated. And then on that back, they laid the cross. They continued to beat him as he went up to Calvary, as he went up the hillside. And then when they got him to the top, they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And then they lifted him up. And they continued to mock him as he was dying a criminal's death for you and me. They said, Jesus, if you're really the Messiah, well then come down off the cross and we'll believe in you. Friends, the nails didn't hold him there. It was his love, his love for us. And as Jesus, in his great love, looked at those who were hurting him, he didn't call down legions of angels to wipe them out. Instead, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That's the example God has given us to follow. First John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. And when it comes to the love that God showed for us, remember how unlovable we were. How far we were uh, from God as, as men and women in rebellion sinners. And yet Romans 5.8 says he demonstrates his own love to us, toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what verses 24 and 25 are talking about when it says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Friends, if you're here this morning, if you're worshiping with us online, and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I invite you to do so. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And so ask yourself this morning, if you've never come to faith in Christ, what's keeping you from doing so? Why have you not accepted his gift of grace, his death on the cross in your place to be the payment for your sins? You can look at this verse here in Peter and personalize it by putting your name in there. It says, and he himself bore Roger's sins. Put your name there. He himself bore your sins in his body on the cross that Roger might die to sin and live in righteousness for by his wounds I was healed. Can you say that? Can you say you've accepted his gift of grace that you've turned to Jesus to be your savior, accepting his death as the payment in your place? We're coming to the communion table now. And as we come to the communion table, we're reminded of the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. If you're here at Wayside and you picked up the communion elements, there are two um, containers here. The top one is where you'll peel back the very top layer and you'll find the wafer. And then in a moment, we're going to peel back the bottom. Be careful you don't spill the juice on yourself or squeeze it and spray yourself. But um, as you peel back this top layer, there's a piece of bread, a wafer, And what this represents is the body of Christ. The one who gave his life. The one who died in your place and mine to be the payment for our sins. And so, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, this table is for all who are believers in Christ. And if you're ready today to say, but Roger, I am ready. I'm ready to accept him to be my Savior. Then take this and take this bread and in a moment say, Jesus, thank you for being the bread of life. Thank you for giving your body as the sacrifice to be beaten. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for me because as a sinner, I owe the penalty of death and I I believe that you died for me. Remember Romans 10 9. If you believe that he died for you and he rose from the dead, then you will be saved. Say, thank you, Jesus, for this death you died for me. For the rest of us who are believers, maybe we've had a tough week or a hard month, or even longer, where we haven't been walking with God, and there are sins and things we've committed. You've never lost your salvation, but your fellowship is damaged right now. And this is a time where we can confess our sins. First John 1, 9 says, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I want you just to take a moment to go to God in prayer, just to talk to him, confess any sins, or receive him as your Savior. And then I'll lead us in a moment. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you, Jesus, for coming and going to the cross, giving your life to be the sacrifice for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place, paying that penalty of death that we owe for our sins. We believe, Jesus, you are who you said you are, the Son of God, the one sent here to be the propitiation, the payment, the sacrifice for our sins. And today we remember and thank you, Jesus, for your death in our place. As we eat this bread, we commemorate your sacrifice and we say thank you for what you did for us. The bread of life, Jesus Christ, he did in remembrance of him. And as you peel back the cup or at home, as you take the elements representing his blood, book of Hebrews tells us without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, which is why the blood had to be shed. The, the payment had to be made. And so as we take now and drink this cup, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus, the one who died to save us from our sins, the blood of Christ. Drink it in remembrance of him. We join me, please, as we pray? Lord God, we thank you for your great gift of life. We thank you that you came and you died on the cross to be the sacrifice, the payment, for our sins. We thank you, God, for inviting us to be a part of your family, to be um, sons and daughters of yours welcomed into the family. And as we live our lives here on earth, as your ambassadors, as your children, may we represent you well, including where we work. So as we prepare now to leave God and go back to the military bases where we serve, back to our schools and academic settings where we may be uh, involved as we think about our workplaces, the cubicles some of us will go to, or even the couches we'll work from at home. May we be good workers. May we be good witnesses for you. So thank you again for your love for us. Thank you again for using us, for your glory. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again for worshiping with us. I invite you to uh, take the elements that you had as you're leaving if you will take and drop those on the receptacles on your way out the door uh, please remember to wear your mask as you're getting up and being dismissed by the ushers go in peace to love and serve the